You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast. The OPP is brought to you by Natural Stacks, makers of 100% natural and open source supplements designed to help you live optimal. For more information on how to build optimal mental and physical performance into your life, go to naturalstacks.com. I wanted to take a quick second to tell you about the flagship, the main squeeze, my most favorite product that we make at Natural Stacks, which is Siltep. All of my experimentation with the Racetams, with Alpha Brain, with other sorts of compounds and combinations and stacks of cognitive enhancers, Provigil, Modafinil, all of that stuff, Siltep is my most favorite and here's why. Number one, you take it first thing in the morning and it lasts all day. Number two, it's open source and naturally created, so the ingredients are natural. Number three, it works synergistically with the other products that we carry at Natural Stacks, and so it's not going to conflict or offset any of the other stuff that I'm taking. And more than anything else, it just continues to deliver, and I've been taking it, I don't know, probably four or five days a week for the last couple of years, and it still delivers. And I know that some of you guys are users of Natural Stacks products, some of you are not. If this is the first time you've ever heard an Optimal Performance podcast, take advantage of this offer, MAC15, M-A-C-15, for 15% off your first online purchase. If you haven't taken Siltep yet, you're doing yourself a disservice. Go to naturalstacks.com and use the code MAC15 for your first order online and you get 15% off. We're now offering a Siltep to go. Uh, our flagship product, Siltep, for memory enhancement is now available in a single serving tearaway pack. It's really good for traveling. Keep a few packets in your carry-on to help beat jet lag or just to instantly give your brain a boost. It's an excellent work companion. Keep it in your box at your desk or share it with your coworkers. If you've got a guy that you're waiting on a thing from, give him some Siltep, give him a little kick in the pants. Uh, put some in your workout bag. Siltep for me has always been an excellent pre-workout supplement along with the uh, Myco Boost. Use this code Siltep for all. C-I-L-T-E-P, the number four, A-L-L, and you get 10 bucks off. For today's episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast, we have Brett Kelly. Brett Kelly is the strength and conditioning coach for the U.S. ski and snowboarding team. They just got back from winning a couple of gold medals over at the Olympics. And Brett works with free ski half pipe, free ski slope style and aerials. And we really get into some of the finer details of strength and conditioning. And for athletes like this that are doing such unique movements on skis, uh, I don't know if you've seen aerials, but it's it's this like whoop-de-whoop where people go inverted and do all these flips and twists and stuff. It's really incredible, super graceful stuff. And Brett knows, knows his stuff. We talk about uh, how to maximize for snow sports, how to gain as much possible strength in the core, exercises um, involved in that strength that uh, strengthening of the core. If you're into snow sports, if you like to ski or snowboard, or you just love to dork out on absolutely world-class strength and conditioning, this is gonna be a great episode. And Brett is a really nice guy, a really cool sense of humor. And it gives you sort of an insider's look into what happens at the Olympics, 
how do you people get there? What's the schedule like for, for people to, to earn a spot at the Olympics? And I really enjoyed our conversation. He's a super nice guy and uh, really super knowledgeable. And without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, Brett Kelly. You're listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, and I'm your host, Sean McCormick. It's the OPP. I'm a performance coach, a wellness entrepreneur, a blogger, a speaker, a biohacker, and it's my privilege to bring to you the leading experts in the field of performance. So let's dig right in. I'm like, ah, I'm going to go mountain bike for an hour. <laughs> Sounds better. That's nice. That's good. Yeah, yeah for sure. One of the perks of, of the job, for sure. So. Yeah, so you're, so you're done seeing people for the day today? Um, yeah, everybody that's here in town right now has already been through, basically. And it's different every day. So um, kind of just depends on time of the year and you know, how many people you have that are in uh, sports medicine that you're working with and, and so on. But right now it's pretty light because a lot of the people that were at the Olympics are kind of taking some time off, which is well-deserved, obviously. And yeah, you know, worked their ass off for four plus years. And some of them are still in the process of kind of deciding what their future is and if they want to keep going four more years, because I mean, it's a big commitment, obviously. And, and uh, kind of giving them some space and letting them go to places like Hawaii and Chile. <laughs> yeah. And take a, a break. So, and then the younger ones who didn't go through all that, I'm kicking their ass in the gym. So, <laughs> is that really how it is? Like the younger ones who maybe have done their first or they're yeah. back, back to work? Yeah. I mean, um, basically, yeah. I mean, for I'm talking aerials right now. So, um, I work with aerials um, and I work with free ski slope style and free ski half pipe the last two years. And uh, there's talks to me taking over. Uh, snowboard half pipe because um, we had a strength coach uh, Tracy Fober who left to open up her own facility again which is going to do great because she's awesome um, right here in Park City so um, but right now aerials which people who don't know what aerials is it's the one uh, where you see people go off one jump they'll have like their hands above their heads and they'll go off and you know drop the hands and move around and do three flips with you know three to five twists in it. Um, so it's kind of been around for a while before free skiing and snowboarding. Um, so that and moguls are kind of somewhat related. Like a lot of people grew up doing mogul skiing and became aerialists or vice versa. Um, so I work with them and they're definitely more structured because they have most of their team here in town and they do water ramping all summer. Um, so we'll do three weeks on five days a week. And then, um, that starts end of May. So I start dry land camp. We try to give them some time off. They finish like beginning of March. You usually give them a couple of weeks off. This year we gave them an extra week just because of the long season um, and started them up this week for dry land camp. So we'll have seven weeks of me kicking their ass and then they'll start, they'll deload for a week and then they'll start water ramping and um, kind of back off volume a lot because they're, they're hiking stairs a lot and hucking themselves off some crazy jumps and yeah. yeah. So what's a, what are, what's, what's a water ramp? Um, so we have a facility here, uh, the Utah Olympic park. We're very lucky to work with them. Um, and it's actually up by where the old bobsled course and the ski jumping course was, um, during the 2002 Salt Lake games. And they've kind of built it into this whole facility now where, um, they have 
water ramping. So we'll have um, a single, a double, and a triple jump. So just progressively getting bigger. And that's the number of flips you're supposed to do off of them. Sometimes they do one too many. Uh, <laughs> or half of, half of one too many. Yeah, that's a different story. <laughs> but uh, so we have the single, double, and triple. And they basically just practice their tricks for aerials off of that. Um, and then they'll take that to the snow. So they actually have to qualify uh, their tricks on there through a coach who has to say, okay, you know, you're good enough at that, that you can take it to snow. Um, that's just obviously for, for safety reasons. Um, the difference with aerials, it's a lot more calculated than free skiing in the sense they get deducted if they land deep or land back seat a little bit, or if they even touch their, if they touch the ground, they're probably not making finals or they're definitely not uh, making it to the next round if they're in finals. So they try to be as straight as they can in the air the entire time. So they can't tuck, which in free skiing, obviously you're tucking, you're doing like all the stuff you see in X games where they're doing more stylish, like um, grabs and everything. Uh, so with aerials, it's very straight. So they have to get their um, speeds down and everything, and then they have to land perfectly. Um, so it definitely takes some more, I think repetition doing the same trick over and over again. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's kind of a, it seems like a similar sport from the outside because they're just going off a jump and doing tricks, but it's definitely uh, pretty different. And I mean, you can see that just from talking to the, the different athletes, aerialists, a lot of them come from moguls background or some of them come from a gymnastics background. And then with free skiing, a lot of those kids just grew up skiing and started going off jumps on, on the mountain and, you know, just kind of did what they wanted to do. And it's a little bit different vibe for sure, but both of them are fun in their own way. So how, how about their uh, level of fitness and strengths and weaknesses? Very, I imagine they're different. Yeah, uh, for sure. Um, I would say with aerialist, they all, most of them, like 90% of them came up through our development program. So we have two, one here in park city called fly. And then we have our one in Lake Placid where they train at the, um, Olympic facility out there. And that's a lot more, like I said, gymnastics based. So it's kind of more uh, rigorous where like, this is what we're going to do every day and, and set it up. And these are the jumps we're going to be doing. And, you know, you know, the coach kind of has a lot of say there. So when they come here, they have a pretty good background. Um, and basically when I'm working with them, it's okay, we're going to do this, this, and this. And they're like, all right, let's go do that. Um, that being said, there's still obviously some people who with any sport or don't want to do exactly what you're doing some days. Uh, sure. have to work with that. And then free skiing, which is actually the main sport I got hired for when I got here and then slowly started taking over some other teams. Um, can you, can you describe free skiing for yeah, everybody? <laughs> free skiing um, is again, when you watch X games, if you see uh, people do the half pipe, which most everybody knows what the half pipe is just pretty famous with snowboarding and Sean white and everything. Um, so free skiing is just half pipe on skis, basically. Got it. And then uh, slope style free skiing is the one with like the rails. Usually they have three or four jumps. They'll have rails, boxes, different features that they can do tricks on. And they have to go down and they'll do a run using those features. Um, and they get scored on on the overall uh, run. So. Um, and how yeah. many, not like it's all about the medals, but yeah. uh, how many medals... <laughs> How many medals did your team get uh, this year? Um, we got four total with my three teams. So Ariel's unfortunately didn't get one. We had uh, one girl got, was she fifth overall? Um, and then I think John, I want to say got 10th. Um, so we had some top 10 finishes, which is good. But the yeah. Russian team, the Chinese team for those sports are pretty dominant. 
Um, and then with free ski and free ride, which is like snowboarding, the U.S. team, I mean, we kind of invented those sports. So um, we have pretty good development programs with them and kids do a lot of more kids doing it. Um, so for those, we had uh, uh, Nick Gepper won silver with slope style. Um, and then we had three medals in half pipes. So Dave Weiss won his second gold. Alex Ferreira won a silver. And then uh, Britta Sigourney won a bronze in women's half pipe for skiing. So nice yes, was, what what's what's their reward uh what's their reward in the gym for for meddling um well <laughs> what i've must seen be? a few of them they get uh, <laughs> exactly exactly yeah. right their their reward is is uh, a beach in costa rica yeah. or something yeah it's kind of crazy though free skiing is a completely different animal in the sense that um they it kind of rose out of things like the x games right and these kids came up and were watching the X Games, and that's what they always had dreams of succeeding at. And then the was it Sochi Olympics was the first one that free skiing was a thing in the Olympics. So most of these kids didn't grow up dreaming about the Olympics because it wasn't even an option. Um, so it's kind of crazy. A lot of them when they come there, they try to treat it the same way as X Games, which for some of them is almost as important. And and then after the Olympics, which you would assume like the season would be over, they'll go do some filming or they'll go do some competitions and stay like in Europe and just do some world cups or, or whatever, and just keep competing. Cause that's kind of what they do all the time. And they're, they're all over the place too. So there's like a, there's a world cup circuit, but then there's, you know, a bunch of other uh, events going on all the time. So I have to keep up with kind of where all the rookies are and where some of the other guys are. They're like, Oh, I'm not going to do this event. I'm going to do another event. Or I'm going to go to Mammoth for a month and film with uh, one of my sponsors because they need some content or whatever. So it's it's kind of a different animal, whereas in aerials, it's like, okay, these are 10 events. That's And those 10 events are trying to take you to the Olympics, and that's it. Right. That's like 10 events over four years? Um, no, just like in a season, like the World Cups. Got um, it. So we have five – every sport has five qualifying events, and they just take the top three or four athletes from those events. Um, so – Got it. Yep. You know, you, before we, you know, bef maybe before we hit record, we, luckily we've been recording since the beginning, but um, mm -hmm. you know, you were telling me about your day today and, and you know, the different people that you've seen come and go and the work yeah. that you've done and then, and then uh, fitting in a, did you say down, you went downhill mountain biking? Yeah. For an hour. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Of course you did. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, uh, so I'm curious, one question that, that I ask every single one of the guests is, um, what, what's in your body? What have you put into your body today? And uh, everything, all of it, describe what supplements, what food, what coffee, yeah. all of it. Um, well, after taking six, uh, probably like six weeks off, not wanting to take six weeks off, but the Olympics is such a crazy environment that I wasn't able to do my regular routine, kind of nonstop. And then after that, I took uh, two weeks off and went to Vietnam and Thailand where I was on beaches. So it definitely wasn't working out. <laughs> yeah, nice. Um, so I came back here and just trying to get back in the swing of things. Um, it's been, what, three or four weeks now. So I'm pretty much full go now. So um, trying to get some of the summer bod going again. So I started off with some creatine in the morning um, and some just BCAs and water. And usually I just drink that on the way up um, the canyon. That's like a half hour drive for me to go to Park City because I live in Salt Lake. And then I get up here and usually get going on my computer a little bit. And then when I'm feeling hungry, I'll go in and, and grab one of our Chibani yogurts because we have a sponsorship with them. Um, and then I'll throw some granola in there. Uh, what else did I have today? What, what time? Uh, what time? Your, you, had your guys, your guys supplements last night. So oh, dope. I haven't, I haven't had 
a ton of time to check them out, but I had some of the, uh, I can't remember the name of them right now, the brain food. Yep. And another one with mel- was more melatonin based, I think. Well, there's, a, there's four different brain food yeah, products. Yeah. There's dopamine, serotonin, yes. acetylcholine, and GABA. Yeah, Did you have, GABA. you had GABA last that night? Was, that was a relaxing one, right? Yeah. 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 So that uh, slept good. So first time taking it. Um, so it's we'll going to work out after this podcast probably and take some nice. protein. So what time I, it's, and I'm just going to dig down a little bit deeper. Like yeah. what time did you, what time did you wake up and do your creatine and BCAAs? And then how long was it before you got into the yogurt? Um, so usually I kind of have been doing just because I gained a little bit of weight, uh, not working out and eating a lot of rice and noodles in Asia. Um, so I kind of started doing a little bit of um, intermittent fasting where I just have a window of when I eat and usually it starts at 11. Um, so I'll wake up and I'll have some uh, BCAs in the morning around seven with some creatine and I'll come in and do maybe a light spin today. I knew I was biking, so I didn't do a spin. Um, and then, you know, maybe 11 o'clock I'll throw the yogurt in and then at noon I'll eat lunch and then work out like an hour after that. Just so I have some, some fuel in me and, and, gotcha. rock. Um, and then I usually stop eating is it like seven? Yeah. Eight hours. So seven o'clock I'll just eat dinner right before then and usually good to go. So I've seen some, some results for, for me in the past with that. So I decided just to hop yeah. on that because it's, it's pretty easy. Basically just eat, don't eat breakfast. I just eat some BCAs and some creatine and then just kind of delay breakfast for a couple hours. So it's not really that taxing for me. And, um, I will have tea most mornings too. So just some green tea. I'm not a big coffee guy actually, which everybody's like amazed that, I'm a strength coach and I don't have pre-workout and coffee in my Yeah, right. Times. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I'm just uh, never really liked the taste. So I never, like I started drinking it too much. I just don't have caffeine a lot. You, di- you didn't feel, you didn't feel pressured to start drinking coffee like a grown up. That's no, good. No, I just stick to green tea, man, every day. That's uh, good. Yeah. Once or twice a day probably. And then, um, yeah, I mean, definitely had my pre-workout days when I was younger, but um, kind of stopped doing that because you get on that that uh, road. I feel like then I'm like always needing pre workout to work out, and then when I don't have it, I feel terrible. So yeah, I try to kind of stay away from it a little bit. Um, not saying it's always bad, but um, I just don't like being dependent on things. So yeah, yeah. it's it's always fascinating uh, hearing people's explanation of you know what they've had in the day, and yeah. you you're probably not surprised that a giant number of people that I talk to, including myself, don't eat breakfast. Yeah. Like that's probably the most consistent answer is oh, I didn't eat anything for breakfast. You know, usually it's like, Oh, I had some supplements of this or that or some vitamins or something, but yeah. I didn't really, I didn't, I didn't, I certainly didn't have like a croissant and yeah. you know, a bunch of heavy stuff. So that's, that's interesting. So yeah. I have, I I'm, I'm so curious as to what a day in the life is and, you know, you've, you've explained sort of the schedule and, and how you track people. And I imagine, you know, with the, with the athletes that you train, it must be like, it must be nutty trying to keep track of everybody's strengths and weaknesses and body types and chemistries and circadian rhythms and all that, you know, so-and-so's in Denmark doing an aerials challenge and so-and-so's in South Africa, you yeah. know, on a safari, you know, taking a week <laughs> off, yeah. you know, like what, how is it that you, what is the, tell me the process of how you sort of assess an athlete, let's say a new athlete that you're just knowing for the first, first time 
assessing their their abilities, capabilities, potentials, and then applying general principles, but also specific to them. Like, walk us through what that looks like if Joe Schmo you you met for the first time and he's really promising. Yeah, I mean, when I first came in um, to free skiing, it was um, like a lot of them, not all of them, but a lot of them didn't have a lot of uh, lifting backgrounds or anything. Um, so trying to get them, I guess, connected to their bodies as much as possible. So I've used just some basic leg circuits. So I'd bring them in and, you know, we're still going to do a workout that first day, but it's going to be a little more mellow mainly. So they trust me and know I'm actually going to crush them every time they come in here and then they stop coming in here. Um, yeah. but kind of just put them on a bike for, or whatever cardio they want for a little bit. I actually always tell them that they can pick their, their warm up for as far as if they want a bike. Um, some of them will bike to the gym and then, you know, they're already warm. We have a skate park here too. Some of them will do the vert ramp for 10 minutes and then come in and that is pretty taxing. So yeah. they'll do their, uh, basic, I just do like a med ball warm up where I'm kind of taking them through various movements. Um, so just like any coach would do as you're warming them up, you're almost watching how their body moves. And, um, there's, I would say have like a, a specific, um, leg circuit that I do a lot of times, which actually I got from when I worked with the white Sox. And then I found out later that it was Vern Gambetta's uh, leg circuit. So they use it here because we actually work with Vern here too. So it's just um, bodyweight squats doing, um, I think the full one is 20 bodyweight squats and then 10 lunges, 10 step-up jumps, and then uh, five squat jumps. So I'll do variations of that. Um, and then depending on what I kind of see in the warm-up, I might change up a few things here and there. I might I'm like, okay, you need some more. Um, lateral lunge work or something like that because your lateral lunges during the warm-ups were terrible. So we're going to do lateral lunge instead of regular lunge and kind of just work on things there. Um, and then usually I, I keep it again, pretty mellow. Let's first day, maybe do a couple rounds of the leg circuit, um, do some core work with them and, um, you know, try to keep it as fun as I can, um, especially with some of those sports. And I think a lot of it is just building trust and with the athletes and, um, having them know that they can come in and can work with you and they can tell you what's going on and you're not going to like, okay, that's good. We're, well, we're not going to worry about that. We're going to go do squats anyway. Sure. So, um, as far as like knowing their individual, um, issues and everything, I think as far as injuries, uh, when I first started working here, just meetings with athletic trainers, um, the former strength coaches and trying to talk about uh, each individual as much as you can and kind of just, you know, record that down and, and try to keep that in my head as much as possible. Um, and then as I work with them, you know, talking them through certain movements, some of them don't like certain exercises because they've had issues in the past with either other strength coaches or other, um, you know, rehab facilities or whatever it might be. So I try to always be cognizant of that. And when I'm planning their programs and, um, you know, I, like I told you earlier, I have three, maybe four teams coming up. So it's a lot of athletes and you have the rookie teams on top of it. Um, so what I kind of do when I do the planning is I'll write out, um, so for like a half pipe skier, here's my program. I'm going to write out for whatever this block might be, and I'm going to paste it in there and then I'll kind of paste it in underneath everybody's name. And then I'll individually click on each athlete and knowing that athlete, I'll go in and change, uh, what we need to work on or what issues they might be having. So it's still the same basis. And I just find out that's the easiest way to do it for me. Um, to keep my brain around the same programs, um, but also being somewhat individualized. 
Um, and then we also bring the coaches involved. So at the end of every year, we have a big meeting and talk about uh, the athletes and how they're doing on the hill. And then I bring up how they're doing here with me. The sports med brings up how they're doing with their injuries. And we all kind of collaborate and talk about things they need to work on. And, you know, I'll, I'll try to implement uh, that as much as I can into their training as well. And then, you know, the coaches will do it on hill and sports med will do it um, if they're working with them at all during PT. So what traits do make somebody exceptional physically yeah. and mentally at, at, you know, it pick, cause I know you've, you know, baseball and, yeah. and all, all of these other sports too, but within your wheelhouse of, mm-hmm. of the, the snow sports and the skiing sports that you, that you coach, like what, what makes the difference? Because you're working with the, the best in the world, like mm-hmm. the best in the world in such a specific thing, you know, what differentiates one athlete from doing okay and, you know, being there and maybe going uh, to the Olympics in this yeah. case, or, or, you know, competing and, and getting some top tens around the world and someone who just absolutely kills it time and time again on top of their game. Like what's, what's, what's the difference? Um, I mean, that's a probably hard question, but with, with skiing, um, well, I mean, skiing and baseball, they're so skill-based that I think a lot of it is like the ability to stay healthy, which I do see as a trait. So whether that be um, you're just stronger in certain areas, um, more mobile, you know, that can help you stay healthy, obviously. Or a lot of it is some of these kids, especially when they're in the air or, you know, skiing or whatever, they get in certain situations and they're used to being in those situations. They know how to fall properly. Um, And I think some of that, can be learned. Some of it's like almost seems like it's innate. Like there's, you know, there's just some athletes that are just always hurt. Yeah. It's not necessarily always strength related. It's just how they, how they fall, how they move sometimes. Um, So what I've actually been thinking about doing, and I've already reached out a couple of times is trying to bring in. um, People how to fall properly. Um, is the internet still working? Yeah, you're back. <laughs> right. You're good. Cool. Um, so trying to bring some of these uh, more, we're actually going to get some extra mats out here and everything and just kind of do some more rolling training and, and flipping and learning how to fall properly. Um, and hopefully that will kind of lead to um, less injuries. And since it's such a skill-based sport, if you have less injuries, you're on the hill or you're on the field longer. And I mean, I think inevitably you're going to get better. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot of these kids grew up skiing since they were two years old and a lot of the baseball players that I worked with grew up throwing a baseball since they were two years old. So yeah, yeah. I think with these types of sports, um, it's just so skill related, um, as far as like specific attributes that we've seen as far as like on our testing, um, we actually just did a whole overview of a lot of our testing and there, there's not like a specific strength that we're seeing right now. Really? But I think a lot of that is also because the sport is so new, uh, free skiing. So as sports advance, I think people that are more built for that sport start getting better. Right. Um, built physiologically or, or mentally or, or, uh, t- or technique. Yeah. Yeah. I would say both. So like right now you have a lot of people who are not a lot, but a good amount of people that are pretty good at free skiing, but it's a newer sport. So it's inevitably going to, keep progressing and getting more and more advanced. And then I feel like in 10 years, you're going to get to a point where 
you almost have to be like a specific body type to be able to do the tricks that they're doing Got it. quickly. So if you look at certain sports that have been around longer, like moguls and like aerials, like they're, they have some more specific um, physiological attributes and almost mental attributes to their sport where you're like, you can kind of look at them and tell like, Oh, you're an aerialist or Oh, you, you're probably a mogul skier or you're an Alpine skier with free yeah. skiing. Like we have kids that like Alex Hall, I think is like six, five. And then you have um, Willie Borm who does the same exact sport is, I don't even know, five, nine, maybe. <laughs> yeah. And he's like built like a brick shit house and like grew up playing hockey too. And is like throwing ridiculous numbers out on the force plate and a hall like basically comes in and just does some yoga and does some things that I try to do to keep him healthy. And he just skis from lifts open to lift clothes, lift clothes every single day. And wow. So it's, very different in that sport right now. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's fascinating because I think of the different body types uh, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking honestly in, in skiing and snowboarding um, in snow sports. Um, but I mean, all of the twisting, all of the core work, all of the inversions, you know, being comfortable being upside down. And I can see the connection between, gymnastics and aerials right Mm because if you're doing a floor routine and you're just doing flip after flip you're used you're spending half of your life upside down a repetition right exactly well and 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 the aerials is so unique and it's such an because you're stiff as a pencil the whole time like and that's it's just you know there's not you're not going to see uh uh, uh, you know, a, a middle linebacker type or a catcher, <laughs> you know, catcher, baseball catcher type trying to do that sport because it's just it's not, it's not going to work. Yeah, their landing forces are going to destroy them. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, so I'm, scary, man. <laughs> I, 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 I am, I'm super curious about some of the things that you guys do. And, and I read another, I cheated and I read another interview okay. <laughs> where, where, they talk, where you talk about explaining um, some of the core work and yep. Uh, and the Olympic lifting and how important Olympic lifts are. And yeah. I'm, I'm a you know, I, I played soccer in college and I still, I still really enjoy working out. And Olympic lifting, I think is, is the most dynamic builds the fastest strength. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I know that a lot of these guys are doing it, but are, is a, you know, is a, is a five, five, nine, 155 pounder, you know, are they deadlifting 400 pounds and squatting 400 pounds? <laughs> like, yeah. like what are the, what are the numbers like for, for people like that? Yeah. Um, I'd say our two strongest aerialists. Um, I'm trying to remember what Mac was doing. Uh, he weighs when he's soaking wet, 150 pounds. And that took some time to get him there last summer. Um, and last summer he was, when we were doing, squats i was doing it with a velocity um uh, based training so i was trying to keep him above 0.5 meters per second so pretty good speed not you know ridiculous but not maxing out by any means sorry slow down dumb dumb it down for me um Um, are you talking about the the actual speed of the rep the down up motion bar yeah so we have uh, something that is it's similar to a tendo uh it's called uh gym aware and uh, measures the speed of the bar. Um, Got it. So I have specific zones that I want them to be at just so basically I can tell them instead of tell, telling them what weight they're going to do, I can come in and say, Hey, we're going to do uh, this range of speeds today. And in my mind, it's like, okay, it means we're working on speed strength or strength speed or pure strength or whatever. I'm trying to put them in. I'm just like, do as much weight as you can in this speed today. Got it. Um, so they can come in and it all, it's nice because it also 
auto-regulates like itself. So as they come in, if they're feeling like crap and maybe they're hiding it from me or whatever, which I would hope they wouldn't be, but you never know. Um, and they go in and they do their normal weight and they don't get their speed, then I can be like, okay, well, you need to take some weight off because yeah. you're your speed. So it's going to, it's going to regulate the weight for them. And then vice versa, if they come in and their central nervous system is firing and all cylinders and they come in, they throw the normal weight on and then they throw the, the bar up and it blows past the speed. It's like, all right, sweet. Let's get after it today. Throw some more nice. Um, so we were doing, uh, so like I think max strength is supposed to be around 0.3 meters per second. Um, so we were doing 0.5 for that day or above 0.5 and he got up to, um, I think 150 kilos and he weighs 150 pounds. So, but with good speed too. So I was pretty impressed with, with that. Yeah. Um, and one of our other guys is, is similar to, he's probably about the same weight, if not a little lighter. Um, but we don't do a lot of max out, uh, testing as far as with squats or deadlifts. Usually I'll do like two rep maxes with some higher speeds. So I know they can control the weight. Um, but we do force plate testing and that's all done with, uh, Newton's and we do an isometric push. So we basically load up a bar with weight that we know they're not going to be able to even budge. And then we set up the, the rack. So they're down um, at 90 degrees of their squat. They'll go underneath it. The force plates right underneath them too. Um, I'll count down three, two, one. They push as hard as they can for two seconds and we just get their peak force on huh. ISO squat. Um, so that's all, um, again, that's a new fun. Yeah, it's a good one. We've had a couple guys pick up the bar, which is even more fun. <laughs> so you're like, Oh no, he uh, did it. What, yeah. What is, how much is the, let's see. We have, let me look out there. I don't remember. Uh, yeah, 150, 170. Yeah. 210 kilos, which is good from, yeah. from the bottom of your squat <laughs> in a static position. Um, so what, what fun. I mean like that, yeah. <laughs> that's fascinating stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Like we're going to load up this, we're going to load up this bar, stand on this plate and then try it, just try it and yeah, see, and see what the reading. Wow. Yeah. We'll do that single legs too. And we have, so we have baseline readings for all of them. So when they come back from injury, we know um, kind of where we want them at. So usually we want them back at 92% of their previous best. We want their legs at least 92% uh, symmetrical before we start bringing them back on snow. Um, huh. So they all have the baselines, which is nice. It even then, tests the strength of each leg. Yes. So we're starting to mess around with that. But in the past, we have one force plate, and they'll do a single leg. So we'll raise the bar up a little bit so it's not as awkward. They're not at 90 degrees with one leg because it's already awkward enough when they're a little higher. Um, and they'll just push as hard as they can, and then they'll do the other leg. And we can see – we do two tests and just take the average. Um, but right now we have uh, dual force plates as well that we're messing with and that's pretty new to us right now. So me and some of the guys have been messing around with them and we're actually putting the dual force plates on top of the regular force plate and zeroing it out. So telling it there's nothing on top of it. And then it's actually getting the same forces. Um, and the dual force plate gets two different forces. So your left and your right. So we can do that ISO squat I was talking about before and I can see if they're shifting one way or the other. Sure. So we can get those numbers compared to if they were just pushing off one leg as well. Um, huh. Right now we're kind of seeing what we can do with that um, and deciding how that's going to help with uh, the rehab process and everything. Um, but it's, it's pretty cool so far. Um, I feel like I got lost on my tangent. I don't know what I'm talking about. Anymore. Well, I interrupted you about <laughs> six times cause I got excited. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no. What's so, so it's basically an all, it's all year round for you. I mean, you get a couple of weeks off to go do your thing, but there must be a massive lull after, 
after the Olympics and yeah. all of that, like four years of preparation, like you were saying, um, how, how does, uh, how does it shift your perspective and your focus or, or is it like you said, it's two weeks off and I'm, I'm back at it because there's, there's other competitions and pre-qualifications yeah. that start tomorrow. No, it's definitely different. Um, especially this last year, there was, you know, some things came up where it's like, we're doing the testing and I have certain questions about, you know, why we're doing certain things certain ways. And it's not that it's bad. It's just like trying to find better ways to do things. And you're always trying to get better and uh, help your athletes as much as possible. Um, and at that point in the quad, you're kind of like, well, I don't really have time to dive into this right now. Like we need to go. And we're, so we're going to go through with this and keep doing these testing because we've been doing it and we have the numbers for it. And then now that we're back around to the start of a new quad, we're kind of going back into meetings and we're like, all right, what do we want to change? Like, what do we want to research? What do we want to look into? And we have four years to kind of plan it out. Well, we don't have four years to plan it out, but um, at least like a year to, to mess around with some different testing and seeing if there's certain things we want to, that we want to do. Um, and then as far as with the athletes, um, I would say the last year for sure. And even the last two years, you kind of zero in, more on the metal potential athletes that you're like, all right, these guys like could seriously podium at the Olympics or even go to the Olympics. Um, and you're still working with the development athletes because you always want to be working with the development athletes. But when you have so many, when I have so many athletes, I have to kind of focus one or the other. Um, so I still help out development and then just work a lot with um, the, the higher end athletes who are probably going to be going to the games just because that's the time of the quad. And then now, that we're flipping over. Um, not that I'm completely dropping people that were at the Olympics or anything like that, but you kind of shift your mindset and you're like, all right, how can we develop athletes for the next four years or the next eight years? Um, Cause you're going to yeah. have retirements and you know, you need to start building up some, some, some new athletes. So I'm working with um, one of our uh, high performance coordinators here who has been setting up um, uh, development stuff with some of our academies around the country, which are mainly Alpine focused. Um, there's a few that have pretty good free ski teams as well. So I'm going to try to travel with him up to some of those places this summer and just talk to the strength coaches about how I train free ski athletes and then maybe talk to the athletes um, and then talk to the coaches as much as I can and, and, you know, bring up the importance of, you know, backing the strength and conditioning program as far as the coaches um, and then just trying to get the athletes used to doing even body weight stuff before they get here, before they make the pro team. So when they get here, it's not, you know, completely out of left field for them. So. Yeah. I can imagine, you know, if, if you, you know, you just grow up skiing and you're having fun and having a ball yeah. and you're really good and you're, you get a phone call and it's like, Hey, now we're going to actually exercise. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to, we're yeah. going to work out. <laughs> I, I, uh, you know, in that other article you talk about like building uh, body mass and, and muscle mm. as body armor as protection. And, yeah. and I never would have thought about how, falling how important falling is and, and how well you fall yeah. but it's it's a, you're you're absolutely right like if you if you break every time you go down or if you tweak something uh, because either you're not falling the right way or you're you just you're just uh, <laughs> fragile or lean yeah that's a that's a problem you know that's yeah, a sure. that's a that's a long, long-term problem i i also want to ask you about mentality you know um it sounds like there is such a wide range of of attitudes 
you know, over the course of, of the year and year in and year out, and you're seeing different styles of, of people and their approach and work ethic and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Do you guys spend any time thinking about meditation or mental training or breath work to assist in, in, in preparation? Um, we have um, a handful of sports psychs here who work with specific teams um, who have handled some of that um, to an extent. Um, I think that's something that as a strength staff, we could possibly work on a little bit more. Um, I myself have started uh, kind of taking meditation more seriously in the last six months probably. And every day I'll, I'll do a little bit, even if it's, you know, five minutes before I go to bed or something. Um, and I think it definitely helps, especially during the stressful times. I even did it all the way through the Olympics, which was hard to find time sometimes to do that. Sure. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's a huge part of it. And I think, um, we could at least be bringing it up with some of them and that might be, um, part of the development side that I'm starting to talk about now and trying to bring that up with some of the younger athletes as, as they get older. And, and there's definitely some of the pro uh, athletes who have been around who have started picking that up, whether that be through our, um, our staff here or through, you know, somebody else. Um, so trying to get them to maybe talk to some of the younger athletes as well and, and bring up how important, you know, visual. I can't even talk visualiz- blah, blah, blah. visualizing you got it. My brain's not working. Nailed it. <laughs> Nailed it. Yeah. It's been a good day, huh? <laughs> um, but how important that is uh, just for the sport. Um, and I think, I think that'd be really great for our development side of, side of things. So that's for sure something that I'm looking into. Um, I don't have any specifics on how I want to implement it yet, but um, like I said, we're all kind of just in the process of having meetings and throwing ideas out and seeing what everybody else thinks and, kind of moving forward right now yeah it's becoming more and more popular uh mm-hmm. it's becoming a a more normalized thing to think about like the mental capacity the you know mental edge attitude culture the, those sort of soft skills uh yeah. you know like um i live in seattle and the seahawks have like meditation coaches and um and sports psychologists on staff that are that are really highly focused on mentality mm-hmm. and the fact that you're going to fail, you should fail. If you're not failing, <laughs> you're not trying hard enough, you know, Yep. and, and how to deal with that. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting. So for, as a, as a world-class strength coach for, um, baseball in the past and, and, and skiers, uh, what, what sorts of exercises can, you know, the weekend warrior do to improve their, their ability on skis? Um, I mean, anything else going to strengthen legs, I think finding your weakness and trying to work that as much as possible. Um, which I mean, it's hard for me to say over a podcast with somebody's like, okay, what's my weakness? Yeah. right. <laughs> but going back to, to what I was saying earlier, if you haven't done anything coming in and doing leg circuits, like those, those can be used. I like using those a lot because those can be used for a warm up if you do one set of them, and that's what I talked about earlier—the twenty sets of squats, the lunges, the step ups, the squat jumps. Say that again, because I'm gonna I'm gonna write them down for myself, and I think yeah, that you that, should do three sets of them. You'll be sore for a couple of days. Okay, so it's twenty. It's twenty <laughs> it's body weight squats. Twenty body weight squats, um, and I start off just body weight, but eventually I'll do med ball stuff with them or weighted vest. But twenty body weight squats. Um, it's ten lunges each leg. 10 step up jumps. And then, um, uh, is it five or 10? We'll say five squat jumps for now. Um, and then usually the first time I do that, I'll do two rounds of it with them. 
and then you can work up to three or four rounds. You, you can start adding weight. You can play with the exercises. So sometimes I'll do, like I said earlier, lateral lunges or lateral step ups or 180 jumps or, you know, change it up a little bit here or there. Um, but that's really good to use on the road when we don't have equipment, which sure. most of the time we have no idea what the hell we're going to have when you're in Europe or China. A lot of times they don't have anything. Um, and so we can use that as a warm up if we do one set or if we don't have equipment, we can go ahead and do you know three or four sets of that and it, it can be very taxing. So I use that a lot to build up my athletes, especially like this time of year where they're coming back from the season. We're going to start doing some leg circuits, build you up. We're going to start putting you under the bar uh, with some light weight and kind of working on technique this time of year. And then as we build up, we'll start um, dropping maybe to doing leg circuits once a week and then doing strength training twice a week. And then as off season goes on, progressive just doing full blown strength training. Um, but I'm pretty basic with my, with my weightlifting. Um, I try to just do the basic movements and do them well and do them often. Um, and we'll do, you know, back squats, front squats, uh, power cleans if, if they have the mobility to do it. Um, deadlifts, some of them do uh, hex bar deadlift jumps if they can't do power cleans because they, if they can't catch it or their you know, deadlift's not good enough. Um, and then as far as upper body, we'll just do some hypertrophy stuff just to, like you said, build up the armor um, and their shoulders and their upper body a little bit. Do you ever do any uh, kettlebell stuff? Uh, I have, yeah. Last year, as I was getting closer to the season, I was doing some more uh, high-speed work um, as far as uh, I do banded squats and like I said earlier with the velocity based training, I was just trying to get their speeds up a little bit. Um, and I definitely switched from RDLs once a week to doing some kettlebell swings. Um, and then I've used kettlebells for shoulder stability work too, just bottom up, uh, presses or, uh, bottom up, uh, ipsilateral step ups. So using what, your right arm up over your head with a bottom up and then stepping up with your left leg or something. So, oh man, so I'm picturing <laughs> that. So it's from the ground. I, I, I tracked mostly. Yeah. So it's, it's from the ground all yeah. the way, all the way up with the kettlebell extended yep. above your head with your yep. right arm and, yep. and then step up with a with up onto a box with your left foot. Yep. And so then, just, and does the right knee come all the way up too? Yep. Drive it all the way up. So I try to get them to uh, get their foot over the box and then push down the box uh, quickly and throw some power into that box uh, drive up, drive that opposite leg up. Um, so it's obviously going to be a lot of shoulder stability and then, um, using your left leg with your weight and your right arm is going to have to use a little bit of core as well. So, yeah, I like, I like a lot of the core stability work, especially with, uh, aerials, just because like you said, they, they try to stay as a straight as a pencil the entire time. So we try to put them in positions where it's not just, they're holding the plank for 30 seconds, but maybe they're doing something while they're holding that plank or they're doing, you know, walkouts on, a, on the ball or rollouts or um, something our old athletic trainer uh, made up that I do all the time now with them is I'll put a, a, a BOSU ball, the round side up on top of a box and they'll do, um, you know what a hollow hold is? Or, nope. So hollow hold is when you're sitting on the ground and if you're going to pick your feet up and hands over your head and kind of be in a, um, I don't know, like you're about to do a sit-up, so your shoulders are off the ground, your butt's really just touching, so you have to hold that in a static position. Um, so I'll put them on top of that BOSU ball, and I'll grab their feet and then kind of move them around, and sometimes they'll get med balls and hold them straight arms over their head, oh. kind of stay in a straight position, and we'll, we'll progress that to doing uh, side ones or ones where I'm just holding one of their feet, and they have to keep their feet together because that's a big thing, keeping your skis together, 
Sure. So it's just a lot of stability work for them for sure. Brett, that sounds brutal. Yeah, it's not fun. <laughs> I'm not that good at it, but I can <laughs> they are, so that that sounds yeah. brutal. I would last eight at four seconds before yeah, I I'd be like, I can't, I'm done. Yeah, I don't use a I don't use a med ball. Some of them, like I said, will use in a, they're light, but still like a five pound med ball with your arms stretched out over your head. Oh yeah. Everything's stable, keep your shoulders stable is pretty challenging. And then when we do the side ones, um, those are even harder on the adductors because I'll hold maybe um, the top foot or just the bottom foot and move them around and they have to keep their feet pinched together too the entire time as they're keeping their core uh, stable and their arms over their head. Um, just rock them around. So My stuff like that is kind of what I'm doing with, with a lot of the aerialist. And it's, it's fun because, you know, I have my staples, but then it's like, well, what if we did this? Let's try this. Let's yeah and see if you can stay stable and I mean that's one reason I like working here too because you have a lot of like-minded people who when we have free time it'll be like all right uh, let's go see if we can figure out an exercise that will work you know this specific thing or whatever we're trying to whatever adaptation we're trying to work on and we just have a lot of uh, sports with uh, acrobatics and coordination and core stability that it's sometimes that extra work outside of the squatting and the uh, power cleans is just some different stuff that we made up here. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I can, I can only imagine walking into the gym on, on a day, Brett, where, where you and the homies have concocted something mm-hmm. and you said, no, let's try it tomorrow. And I'm coming in to start my day. Maybe I didn't get a great night's sleep last night. And you're like, Hey, I want to try something today. <laughs> I would really? just be like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. You gotta, you gotta pick your times to do that stuff for sure. But, um, a lot of the free skiers, um, like to do some of that different stuff too because they're like oh this is cool or whatever and i'll i'll mix that in with uh, their circuits sometimes and we'll do uh, obstacle courses where for them it's fun because they're doing an obstacle course and they do some balance work and like part of the obstacle course is i'll have them run up the quarter pipe and then they have to jump into the foam pit and swim across that which is taxing and then oh totally on the trampoline like certain tricks and then come down and then hey okay now we have to do box jumps or you know, something where I'm actually trying to work in what they need to be doing that day. Yeah. (laughs) You know, you're going to throw this football or I'm going to throw this football. You're going to catch it. And then you're going to go jump on a trampoline and they're going to come around and you're going to actually do your plyos or whatever it might be. Cool. Um, So trying to keep it fun and throw some different things in there for them because their sport is so chaotic that um, I think having the basis of weightlifting is, is a must, but then trying to find out ways how you can put them in some, different positions that they might not be used to, which is hard because they're used to being in a lot of weird positions. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of variability. Oh yeah. It's crazy. You watch them on a trampoline. You're just like mind blown. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Uh, what, what, what what does everybody eat? How much control over diet do you have? Uh, Does it, does it shift from, from one time of the year to another time of the year? What do you like? What do you like to eat? What do you prefer your athletes to eat or and supplements too? Um, as far as eating, I think a lot of that is, um, kind of, if we're having any issues gaining weight or losing weight, um, then we'll meet up and, and talk about what they're eating. Uh, we don't have any restrictions, just general restrictions on anybody. Um, we have a nutritionist, um, who is also our head chef here. Um, we have in our facility here in park city, we have a, a kitchen, so the athletes can come in, they can eat breakfast. He makes uh, lunch every day. Um, so they'll come in, they'll eat something here, which they know is healthy and, and good for them. We have 
um, rock and refuel protein shakes here that they'll eat. I mean, he has access to a, a ton of USANA, um, um, just vitamins just because we have a partnership with them. Um, so kind of depends on what he has been working on with them and if he's been working with them and uh, what they're eating, but we're on the road. I try to just find the best things for them because sometimes it's okay. I'm going to go to KFC because of, um, we're in China and I don't want to eat oxtail. Uh, <laughs> and sometimes you have to roll with that. That's all you're going to eat. Wow. But yeah, trying to just find when I'm in certain places, trying to go around and find areas where they can eat and eat healthy food is, is definitely a challenge in some of the places. But, and then when you're in France, it's like, okay, I'm going to eat bread and cheese every day. Um, yeah. <laughs> Count me so, in, man. Yeah. And like you said earlier, they're all over the place. So when they come back in here, a lot of times it's, all right, let's put the reins back on. Let's start eating healthier again. Cause you're back in the States. You're not traveling every three days again. Um, let's kind of figure out the holes in your, in your nutrition and we'll meet with uh, Alan or chef and kind of talk about that as a team and, and go forward. But Can you tell us a little bit about what it's like to be at an Olympics? Um, is it, is it is it madness <laughs> yeah basically um it's it's different because you you fly in and you basically go straight to the hotel and they do processing so where you get all like the clothes and everything you're going to get and you get all your credentials and everything because you have to have this credential everywhere you go otherwise you're not getting in anywhere um because security is just so tight but once you're in there it's like you're in this bubble of the olympics and like, you don't see the real world for a while so <laughs> We actually tried, we had an offsite gym outside of the village and we had an um, offsite, a couple offsite um, uh, kitchens where athletes could go and they could eat outside of the village and not eat, you know, with whatever the same food is that the villages it was, was going to have every day. Um, excuse me. Um, so they tried to make it seem uh, like they're in the U.S. as much as possible. So all the foods were basic foods that they were going to eat here. And it was almost like they were coming in here and working out. Like we'd come in. It's ski that come in, they do workout with me and then they go eat and then they'd go back to their rooms uh, or wherever they're going to, if they're going to go see another event or something like that. But it almost didn't even feel like you're in Korea unless you like deliberately had to step out of that bubble and go into Korea. Interesting. Uh, which was cool. But um, as far as like the events go, it was, I think one thing I didn't really expect coming in, um, you, you always think about like all the people that that won the medals in the past and you're like, Oh, this is going to be so exciting. And you kind of don't really think about like how much of your team is going to be disappointed, unfortunately, because right. teams are large. So it's like, it's always an emotional roller coaster and every day, no matter what, even if you have, you know, even with half pipe, we had two guys that podiumed. Well, we had two guys that didn't and like having to work that out with them and just in your own emotional state. And it's like, nonstop just up and down and up and down and uh, we started off the olympics just as a whole uh, ski team not uh, where we wanted to and then we had like 24 hours where we won nine medals and it was just madness for <laughs> 24 hours and like didn't sleep and and then it kind of comes back down to reality for a little bit and then you start winning medals again and it's it's kind of just very chaotic i'd, I'd say controlled chaos is a good explanation yeah. for this. <laughs> do you did you, uh, I, I mean, I've read your bio and, and you interned uh, with uh, first before you came on and then you went and worked in baseball. Um, what's the biggest 
obvious differences, but what's the biggest <laughs> difference between working with a baseball team and working with skiers? Um, well, with my athletes, um, with baseball, it's you're with the same crew basically the entire year. So it, you become extremely close with that, that team. Um, and since I have three teams, I travel with you know all of them at times, but I'm not there all the time. So I think with baseball, being able to be there and seeing them every single day is a very big advantage. Um, and then with free skiing, a lot of times they're on the road all over the place. So trying to keep up with them uh, via, you know, stuff like this um, or via FaceTime or whatever we're doing um, is definitely a challenge for sure. Yeah. When you, you know, when you were, when you were working in baseball, oh, I know there's oh, – Watch uh, you for a second. Oh, you're good. There's so many games in a baseball season, yeah. right? I mean, it's like, do you even have time to practice? Do you even have time to lift and train and, and, and stay strong? Or is it basically triage, you know, all year? No, I think you definitely have time to stay strong. Um, when I was with uh, the White Sox, they, uh, their current strength staff took over uh, a couple years before they won their last World Series, which was maybe 12 years ago now. Um, and since then, they've had the lowest injury rate in baseball through their minors and their major league system. Wow. Yeah. And it's, there was like, they did a whole um, Sports Illustrated article on it. So they're obviously doing something right. And being there, um, we, we give them obviously an uh, in depth program in the offseason for them to do. And then as they come in during spring training, we basically just reduce the volume a little bit. Um, but they're still lifting four days a week, um, they're still coming in and doing something in the gym six days a week, whether that be just some, you know, stretching yoga with me, whether that be some, uh, some medicine ball, like rotational work or one of the four days of them lifting. And then the pitchers are running six days a week. And then the position players are doing some agility if they haven't uh, been playing as much. Um, so I think trying to keep that load constant is the key. So in the off season, you want to increase the load as much as possible and then bring that back down as they're on, um, on field load increases. So you're still staying overall in that same load and that kind of keeps them healthy, I think throughout the entire season. And, um, so yeah, the whole acute chronic load ratio is, is something I'm trying to continue here as well and trying to monitor um, huh. athletes. So that, so that it's uh, consistent and, yeah. and it's not too much or too little. It's just you're, you can you can sort of gradually step up and build up to performance. But you know, I, is that is that the sort of industry standard best practices across? I mean, is that is that fundamental strength and conditioning philosophy? Um, I would say. In, in my experiences where I've been, um, it has been, but it, I don't think it's necessarily been talked about like that. Like when I was with the White Sox, I wasn't like, oh, like this is what we're doing. We're, we're reducing the volume and their loads going up. So their loads staying the same the entire year. Like I, I mean, I knew why I was reducing the volume, but for me, it wasn't like I was thinking about that as to why their injury rate was so low. But now coming out of it and looking from the outside, I was like, well, no wonder it was so low. Like they're continuing doing things. We're just we're just not doing as many reps or as many sets throughout the day or as heavy, whatever. Um, and we're kind of rotating what we're doing. Um, so I think that was one of the main reasons that they have had a lot of success with, um, 
with the injury rates. And, and that's one thing that after I sat down from the outside and kind of thought about it, uh, I wanted to continue here. And uh, we have other strength coaches here that do monitoring for uh, acute to chronic load ratios as well. So. So everybody's on the same page. Yeah, I think for sure. And I think, like I said, even if a strength coach isn't thinking about it as that acute to chronic ratio in their head, like they know that they need to reduce the volume when they're, you know, athletes doing more on the field. At least I would hope so. Right. Do, which is more important, legs or core? Um, oh God. Well, <laughs> Sorry, I just, I, I don't know. <laughs> Spitballing here. Oh, that's a hard one, man. Um, like my heart wants to say legs because I like lifting, but with the sports I'm working with, I think core is, is just insanely important. Um, and if, if you have that disconnect, I don't know if you're going to be, you know, if, I think it was be injured all the time where you're not even going to be able to complete a lot of the tricks, um, unfortunately. Um, but that being said, I mean, doing deadlifts and doing heavy back squats and heavy front squats, like if that, if you're not using your core during that time, then you're not doing those right either. So, um, does that answer your question? I don't know yeah, that's fair. That, no, that was, that was just right. That was just, yeah. uh, just diplomatic just enough. enough. <laughs> yeah. Right. I like squatting. So let's put it that way. <laughs> I do too. I do too. Uh, what other sorts of like biohacking tech, uh, wearables, heart rate variability, you, you know, you mentioned like the central nervous system, you, you know, you wake up and your central nervous system is jamming coming to the gym. Like that's a good day to kick ass. Yeah. get be- get better what sort of what sort of tracking are you doing and what sort of tech are you using to do so um last summer i used uh, um the gym aware that uh, bar velocity uh tracker and i actually would put it around uh, my athletes waists after our warm-up um they would put a 45 pound bar or water bag depending on where we were at if we couldn't travel with the bar um, they'd put that on their back and they would do um, two static jumps at 90 degrees and then two counter movement jumps just regular squat jump and I would get their average and their peak velocities. Um, so looking at that, looking at their morning heart rates, um, then just questionnaires asking them, you know, energy levels, how much did you sleep, um, soreness levels, and then trying to correlate all that to, to their loads that they're doing um, is kind of one of the one of the things that I'm working on and worked on last summer. Um, and definitely saw, I think it depended on the athletes. So the athletes I knew that were always coming in and jumping their hardest, uh, you definitely saw correlations between um, when they had increased loads and their velocities were going down. So you could kind of tell before their energy levels dropped off that, um, all right, maybe we need to pull back on them a little bit um, as far as in the gym. And the problem with that is some of my athletes who would come in and not necessarily jump as hard as they could every day because it's 7 a.m. and they don't just aren't feeling it that day. Sure. Um, sometimes that kind of gets stuck in the, some of that data gets stuck in the middle there. And when you look at it, you're like, okay, this really isn't telling me anything. So um, I think I'm going to try to do a better job this year, really preaching to them how important it is to take that seriously. And um, that was something I didn't really notice until after the summer and going back and looking at all the data as a whole, you know? Sure. Sure. Uh, what other sorts of, I mean, does anybody have, you know, wearing Fitbits or doing sleep tracking or anything like that that you know of? Um, no, not the, not, not my athletes. Um, I wonder if Alpine is probably doing some of that. They, they always do some crazy stuff. Uh, yeah. Right. So they were, I know they Endurance. were, doing, yeah, a couple of years ago they were doing like hydration, um, stuff where they're, you know, doing P tests and they were doing, um, heart rate variability tests and kind of tracking all, all of that, 
that stuff. And um, I think that's kind of fallen off a little bit, honestly. And I just don't think they were getting the amount of results out of it that they were hoping for. And they were almost getting the same results from um, just doing questionnaires, like waking up, how are you feeling today? Like, you know, your athlete, as long as they know their body, yeah, teach them that. If they tell you an honest answer of how you're feeling today, usually that is pretty on point with all what the fancy technology is going to tell you too. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, that's a, that's a fair point. And, and there's so much tech out there. There's, yep. so, there's so many ways to track so many different things, blood <laughs> marker. And, and in my world, you know, uh, as the hot, as the, the, the host of the optimal performance podcast, talking with all these different, wearables and heart rate variability and neurofeedback and sleep tracking and REM cycles and all that stuff. Uh, When you're world-class top 2% on the planet and you walk in and your coach says, you know, how you feeling today? You say, eh, I've got a little bit of a thing. I'm a little tired. I've got a little bit of a thing kind of in my upper right hammy. Yeah. Then that's, that means more than, you know, than, than did you get, did you get the, 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 the baseline of your, yeah. yeah, whatever sleep REM REM cycle the following night. Um, yeah. And you could usually tell, like if you come in when we, you know, when I have done like questionnaires and stuff like that, when they come in, you watch them warm up or something, or you watch them lift some weights, you can tell if they're, if they're tired that day or, or even if they're not tired, they're just like center nervous systems down a little bit or something. You watch right. them do their regular weight and their deadlift and you're like, all right, that sucks. So let's take some weight off. And do yeah. That. Right. Right. And um, it may be a sore hammy and REM yeah. sleep, but it also may be a sick cat, you know, it yeah. could be, it could be a million different yeah. things. I mean, I think, I think technology is, is great. There's a lot of things that we can uh, learn from it. And, but I think, it's definitely overused and in our industry. And I think a lot of people use it because it's the new toy and they don't necessarily go into it with a question. They just go into it because it's interesting, which isn't yeah. necessarily the best reason. If I'm using technology, it's because I'm going to answer a question. Right. And if I don't have a question, I'm just using it because we have it or because it's cool. I don't, and that doesn't really tell me anything. So and yeah. if, if I can answer it a different way without that technology by communicating with my athlete, I would rather do that you know, for being such a, for being such a young guy, you're kind of old school. It sounds like. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. I grew up, uh, just weightlifting and in a gym with rusty weights. And I don't know, I guess my old strength coaches growing up when I was in high school molded me into this. Sure. <laughs> like, grouchy old man. They did. <laughs> well, they did a good job, right? Because yeah, you know, the, so. the the proof is in the pudding, you know, yeah, four, four golds. Think, and yeah, I think a lot of my, uh, the people that I, that I worked with, uh, coming up in the industry, um, had similar views to me and it was views that I kind of grew up with already. So I think it almost reinforced a lot of them. And, um, I think, you know, I have a lot of them to thank for, for that. And, um, you know, obviously there's a thousand ways to skin a cat and there's people that do completely different programs than me and probably disagree with everything I said today. And they have, <laughs> athletes that are succeeding and that's great, you know, but this works for me and I'm going to continue, continue doing it and continue, you know, reading and, and continuing education to, to make sure that I'm at least on the cutting edge of, of where we're at. And if there's anything we can do better. Yeah. What, what do you have to look forward to for the rest of the year? Are you going to 
just give us, give us a snapshot of like where, what, what we have to look forward to and where, where people can kind of, kind of watch what the, the stuff you're working on. Yeah. Well, I probably should start off, uh, to say I'm, I'm looking forward most to getting married in October. It's All right. My fiance is going to listen to this. So, you know, congratulations. I, I got to say that, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks. Um, so dealing with all that, but, uh, which was fun because I proposed to her right before the Olympics and I was like, okay, I'm leaving for two months. Oh, funny. <laughs> <laughs> funny. Um, but anyway, so besides, besides that, um, do a little bit of traveling this summer, like I said, working with uh, development teams a little bit, um, I'm going to do some traveling probably to Mammoth with a half-pipe team in May, um, as long as that all gets worked out, and um, watch them do some training. Um, and then they'll probably go to Hood, I assume, at some point, Mount Hood. Um, don't know if I'll go there or not. And then they go to New Zealand in August, and they do World Cup in August. It's kind of crazy just with, with their schedule because it's like, all right, we have like three months, and then we're going to go to Mount Hood. And then we have a month and then we're going to go to a world cup in New Zealand. And then they come back here for two months before they start their season here in the United States. Um, so it's a little bit all over the place for free skiing, but they'll start back up at copper mountain um, in November. So that's kind of the, the start of a lot of it here in the States. And there's talks of us going back to Sasfe, Switzerland this year in October. Um, which we went to last year for three weeks and it was awesome. So ski pipe and aerials and slope style all on this glacier above this town in Switzerland. So Whoa. places I've ever been for sure. So I wouldn't mind going back there. <laughs> A little honeymoon in, uh, honeymoon yeah, yeah, in Switzerland. Yeah. Sure. Why not? Nice. Um, yeah. I wouldn't mind going back there. And then uh, aerials in the summer, like I said earlier, they're just, they do water ramping for about five months. So we do three weeks on one week off. Um, water ramping five days a week that's kind of their schedule all summer stay here in park city and train with me and then um, they'll just start doing some on hill uh, snow stuff in october or november depending on weather here and if we need to travel or something so last year they had to go to uh, they went to ruka finland in november actually to do some jumping which is dark like 24 hours 23 hours of the day so oh wow <laughs> i didn't yeah. go there with them unfortunately you're, you missed, uh, you missed the 23 hours of dark, of darkness. Yeah. I was in Sasfe for three weeks and then had to come back to the States to work with some of the other teams. So interesting. I think I picked the right one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Unless you're a night owl, in which case you're just, you know, partying all day. Yeah. Just dark all the time. Yeah. <laughs> well, I appreciate you sitting down with us and, and, you know, we're as, as a podcast, as an organization, we're about just performing as, as, as the highest level as we can. And that, and that applies to both, you know, our listeners who are weekend warriors who like to ski, who like snowboard, you know, in Seattle, yeah. we're just about done here with the, with the, with the snow. We make it a little bit more uh, here before the, before spring comes on glaciers. fully. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you, Mount do you Hood, man. Mount Hood. Yeah. All year. Yeah. Well, it's funny the uh, the staff, the natural stack staff. Um, I actually, I'm not a sports, I'm not a snow sports guy. I grew up playing team sports, and um, I've never really been a, a snow sports guy. But uh, the rest of the crew is, and when when the rest of the team came up from Texas, they went. I think they went snowboarding three times in two days, uh, and I wish them the best of luck from from my place. But um, no, we're 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 interested in this stuff, and and obviously. Uh, patriots and 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 proud proud to be americans and 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 proud of the work that you guys did and that you put in um 
at the Olympics, man. It's, it's really yeah. cool. It's really cool to, to connect with you. Where, where can people kind of follow you? You know, I, I don't imagine you're selling a book or, or doing a speaker no. series, but <laughs> no. Um, I mean, yeah, not nothing planned right now for sure. So we'll see what the future holds. Like you said, I'm, I feel like I'm still young. I don't know. I just turned 30. So, uh, <laughs> but the, uh, I mean, my Instagram, uh, is just a BK for, so my name, Brett Kelly, BK underscore strength coach. Um, and then my Twitter handle is just the same thing. So if you want to, I don't really get on Twitter a ton, but definitely Instagram. I post stuff on there. If they want to kind of watch what we do here on a daily basis, um, as you heard, my schedule is kind of all over the place. So there'd be like a month or two where I'm in, in uh, the gym here and I'm posting a lot of videos of people working out. And then all of a sudden you're getting videos from Switzerland and then of mountains and stuff. So it's kind of an interesting mixture, I think. But, nice. Uh, so yeah, they can kind of follow the team on there and then, um, you know, follow, the team's uh, Instagram too, just uh, the U.S. ski team Instagram. So awesome! Yeah, Brett, thanks for joining us today yeah, on the OPP, man. For additional insights and practical lessons based on this show, go to NaturalStacks.com. The Optimal Performance Podcast is a Natural Stacks original. Our executive producers are Dennis Buckley and myself, Sean McCormick. Our producer is Christian Randall. OPP intro music by Odyssey. Additional music provided by That New Jam. A Randy McCandle production.